Hey guys, and welcome to The One Up Project. We're simplifying all things finance and lifestyle in a relaxed environment. It's all just a bit of fun, so be sure to keep listening and let the content be a catalyst for your own self-improvement. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of The One Up Project podcast. Today I'm here with Kenyon Clark, CEO of Duval Group, otherwise known as Charlotte's husband. That's right. Yeah, I know. She seems to be getting um, quite a following online. So, you know, a bit of competition there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Awesome. Well, I feel so grateful to have you on the podcast today. So thank you for your time. You're welcome. Um, So how are you? I'm really well. Yeah. Awesome. Excited to be here. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting into this. It's going to be awesome. Um, So for you listeners, we're going to do this in a bit more of a candid format compared to my traditional episodes, because I really would like Kenyon to sort of guide the conversation as an expert here, and I'll jump in throughout and we'll hear a bit about him and his story. So I think the best way to start might be with hearing, why are you passionate about what you do? Look, I think, you know, people have often talked to me about finding your passion, mm. and I, I'm just not a believer in that. I think it's about actually, passion is something that's internal, that's a fire that just, you know, keeps on burning. And so I think if you take your passion to everything that you do in life, then you'll find the right vehicle for you. And for me, it's certainly been business and it's been property. And that's that's just always been my attitude. So whatever I'm doing in life, I'd like to think that I'm passionate about it. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of the time people can get quite caught up emotionally and what makes them passionate and then they end up not doing anything because they don't know what they're passionate about. That's right. And just be passionate about everything. Be mm. enthusiastic about everything. Say yes to more things, more opportunities. And within that, you're going to find your way through. Yeah. You know, I don't think that, you know, I can remember when I had um, the first little bit of careers advice at school. I think I must have been 16. And I was told by the careers advisor that I should be a fireman. I had no desire to be a fireman. It's absolutely of zero interest to me. Mm. And people just shouldn't be put in boxes and that's oh, the yeah. that's the thing about life is that you know you're going to work it out as you go along and your 21 year old self is going to be different from your 31 and your 41 year old self and don't be scared to reinvent yourself at any given time or moment mm. you know I moved from the other side of the world over to New Zealand although I am a New Zealander and you know I had to start right at the very beginning and I think to just walk through life and to not be scared to find the thing that you enjoy and if you enjoy it do more of it. Mm, yeah, I definitely agree. And I almost think it comes back to all the time when you say be passionate about everything, mm. having that childlike energy and yeah. just being fascinated with everything. Yeah, and absolutely. And you will find those things that you're passionate about. You know, of all the things that I would want for my kids is for them to be curious about life, mm. you know, and to have a, a, you know, a breadth of experience, to have that general knowledge, to read more, to learn more, just to be curious. And in that, you know, you actually find direction. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is that every single person I've had on this podcast that I would class as successful in my mm-hmm. eyes has said the same thing. Be curious. It's always yeah. been their number one thing. Um, and it's a pattern that people need to pick up if that's also where they would like their life to lead, Mm. I think, as well. Um, So that's great. And I think because that property has been one of those passions that you've put your energy towards, how Mm -hmm. did you first become interested in that? Was that something that you intentionally moved towards? No, look, it was something I was actually trying to walk away from. Right. (laughs) So my my father was uh, involved in property in the UK, and I think, like every child, you know, you really don't want to do what your parents do. Mm. And, you know, I can remember being, you know, dragged along to the office. It was pretty boring. My kids have to suffer through that today from time to time. And, yeah, I just had a absolutely zero idea. But, you know, as a 17-year-old young man, when I first arrived in New Zealand, I arrived here with a blonde mohawk, purple contact lenses. The rave era, mm. era was, you know, in full swing. <laughs> And uh, I turned up, mum had, um, had parted company from my father and had moved back home to New Zealand, you know, six months before I turned up. Uh, the first thing she did was she took a horse, uh, the horse clippers to my hair, got rid of the blonde mohawk. Oh, and, um, and, you know, like many people, I had just no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Mm. And, you know, finding what it is that you do want to do is a journey. It's not like a one-stop shop. And so, you know, like a lot of young men at the time, I thought, well, you know, maybe I should go to university, maybe I should go and do that sort of stuff, what should I study? Mm. But education hadn't really worked for me from my, you know, for my life up to that point. Um, My claim to fame is that I got expelled from some of the very best schools in the UK. And I just really felt that um, it didn't serve me. I, I had very, very little interest 
in, in science. I was far more interested in philosophy and English and history. I've always had a broad curiosity, but the, uh, the format of our traditional education system just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And I was quite disruptive, got kicked out of a lot of schools, didn't know what to do with my life, ended up in New Zealand, thought, well, should I go to university or should I get a job? And, um, and I was fortunate enough to actually have the opportunity to find out what I really didn't enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And I had a job uh, working in a place called Litchfield, which is just outside of Tokara. And I had to drive for about an hour and a half every day to start a, a four-day shift. And, you know, and that would change, so sometimes you're working on the night shift. And all I did um, was, was turn cheeses on the edge of a brine bath. So there were these huge 100-metre brine baths, and the cheese used to come down them. And if it was the wrong way, I had to straighten it up for nine hours in a row. Mm. And I swiftly realised that my future wasn't in cheese, mm. and maybe I should go to university after all. Mm. So that's what I did. And, um, and uh, I quit that job. I managed to blag my way into university at Waikato and um, because I really didn't have the grades to justify going to university, so I really did have to sweep and talk my way in. And I started a business management degree. And I swiftly realised that, um, that the lecturers knew absolutely nothing about business. They'd never run a business, they'd never lived in the real world, and I figured that I was just completely wasting my time. And when you've been told all your life, and I certainly had been by the teachers and people around me, and that I was a failure and that I was no good and of no use, that, you know, that, start, that stuff starts to stick with you. You know, it doesn't make you feel great. Mm. And I was really wondering, okay, so education hadn't worked for me. I tried a job I really, really hated. What the fuck was I going to go and do with my life? Mm. So I hopped on an aeroplane, went back to the UK, and I decided to join the army. And I enrolled in the Royal Marines and I figured all my life I've been told that I didn't have discipline. And maybe this would be something, you know, that I obviously needed. So I was, I was really fortunate that they, they accepted me for my basic training. And then I flew back home to New Zealand to go and pack up all my gear. But I hadn't actually told my mother that I'd joined the army. And so, or that was my intention to do that. And like the very sensible woman she was, and this is great advice for any parent, is to not tell their teenage son no. Um, But rather than that, she said, you know what, son, real estate was quite good for your father. Why don't we go around to the various real estate companies and see, you know, see if you could get a job? So she organized a, a couple of interviews for me, and I knew nothing about real estate in New Zealand, nothing about property in New Zealand. And so we walked around to, to you know, all the, the real estate companies at the time were in a pretty narrow strip in Hamilton. And um, I interviewed with a lot of them and got offered a ton of jobs. And I was hugely flattered, but I had no idea that you, know, you could get a job in real estate in New Zealand if you've got a pulse and you've got a driving license, right? You're pretty good, you can get a job selling real estate. So, you know, just before my 18th birthday, I got a, a job selling property and, and that was the start. Mm, wow, that's mm. amazing. And I totally agree with you talking about traditional education, careers departments in school. They can put you in a box and especially when you're like you go to uni, it was the same with me. And I felt like I was learning from people who hadn't actually had that real world experience. And actually yeah. in high school, I feel like I had better teachers because both the teachers that I had in the business studies topics mm-hmm. had owned their own businesses or been in that world before they came back to teach after that and it made it so much more relevant to what I was living rather than just learning from a textbook. So if you think about it, right, so if back when I would have been at university at at the end of the 90s, the early 2000s, and say that, you know, marketing was a big component of your business degree, how useful was that today? Mm. There there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, Mm. you know, there was no YouTube. And if you think about the influences of our time, like Gary Vee, Grant Cardone, people who are actually true marketers, mm. you know, what could they have possibly taught you there? The world is moving so fast and we need to, our whole education system needs to adapt to that because we're still working with an industrial age process, 
right? You know, and what I mean by that, it's it, not much has changed in terms of education when you think about the workhouse, the workhouse of the industrial revolution, where the bell would ring or the whistle would go off. You'd all line up in a queue outside of your place of work or your classroom. You would be let in by your supervisor or your teacher into your classroom to go to your allotted place at a desk or at your workstation. Not much has changed. And yet our life, our world is moving so fast and we need to speed up. Mm. We don't need to slow down. I could not agree with you more. And so moving more into when people start to want to invest in property or move into mm -hmm. that. So they've gotten their career and they're wanting to come up with the sum of money to get into property. So sure. we learned in our previous episode with Charlotte that we mm -hmm. don't save our money, we mm -hmm. store our money. So yeah. if someone is in that position, what is your opinion around storing money? Is that just sort of the hard yards that you need to put in and then mm -hmm. investing comes afterwards? Or is there sort of like a strategy behind how you can store money as well? Look, I've, I think before I'd, I'd answer that, I think it's really important to understand what your why is, mm. okay? And so whatever your vehicle is to take you from where you are today to where you want to be, you've got to understand why you're on the journey in the first place. And what I would say to every single New Zealander is that by the age of 65, 84% of the population retire on an income of $22,000 a year or less. Right? That's a frightening statistic. Yeah. And if you think about the balance of that, so what's that? 15, 16% of the population, the balance, the, the other, the rest of them, only 4% of them retire on an income of $44,000 a year or more. And that means that we have this terrible problem in New Zealand when it comes to financial literacy actually going, you know what, your 20s and your 30s are pretty fucking important, right? Mm. You really have to get your shit sorted way sooner than you think. Because for every 10 people that you pass by walking down the street, eight of them are going to be broke in their old age. Mm. So understanding your why is really, really important. Yeah, totally. And you i think people think that it'll all work out and you can just save you know a portion of your wage every mm -hmm. week and you'll be fine but that's actually yeah. not the truth at all no and and that's just it and the problem is where do you go to for information mm. okay so let's break it down for you so most people when they're thinking about making investments are talking to people who do not invest right or they're talking to professionals that they would that we would all like to think no but I've come across more broke lawyers and accountants than you could possibly imagine. And unless you're, you have a family friend who's a billionaire, and remember there's only 3,000 of them in the world, there's about another 260,000 people in the world who have a net worth of $30 million or more, right? $30 million US or more. So that's 0.0003% of the world's population. It's very difficult to sit down with somebody who's been very successful and actually get their advice. Mm. And so people look for advice in all the wrong places. They're looking on Facebook groups, they're talking to their friends and family, or the last person they had a beer with down at the pub about what they think is a good idea, mm. right? So while the, now since the world has sped up and the access to information is more readily available than at any other time in the world's history, all of a sudden people have got the opportunity to learn from people who are successful. And so for everyone who's listening to this podcast, like that's just such a huge step in the right direction. You know, you can listen now to or, or read the wisdom of Warren Buffett. You can you can read the works of Dale Carnegie or other successful people and you can formulate your own view. But time is really, really important. Taking action is really, really important because you just can't save your way into wealth, mm. right? And that whole concept of saving your way into wealth is really from a different age. It's from an age of scarcity. It's from the age of the workhouse where you would hear people say things that are totally unacceptable today, like children should be seen and not heard. Mm. Where is that acceptable? 
a penny saved is a penny earned. Never get ahead of yourself. You know? Yeah. That's the language of poverty. That's the language of scarcity. And so I think it's really, really important that we recognize that we are just unable to save because the people who do save are those people who form part of that statistic of 84% of all New Zealanders who are retiring on $22,000 a year or less. Mm -hmm. So if instead of saving, you need to remove it from your vocabulary and think about taking what you're able to from your paycheck, putting it into storage, And storage means it's a temporary situation, right? Storage is something that you store something to take it out and use it later. And then once it has grown to a size where it is of use to you and of utility, then you have to invest. Mm, Yeah. And for people who have been surrounded maybe Mm -hmm. in the generations of their family with people who say negative things around money, around saving, mm-hmm. have those sort of views, how can they get themselves out of that and really pull themselves into something that's going to propel them forward, unlike yeah. past generations? Yeah, look, I, I think, I mean, that's always a tough one, you know? I mean, I would say the best things in life are on the other side of fear. Mm. And whatever it, it is that you need to do to find the encouragement that you need to be able to take the next step, you've got to do it. And that means about education. That is education, right? Informing yourself about, about exactly what it is that you need to do to take the next step. And that's about the people that you spend time with. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've all heard of the, of, you know, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty hackneyed expression, but, you know, I'll show you your friends and I'll show you your future. Or you're the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. You know, all those types of statements, right? But there is a level of truth in that. And we can choose what we consume. So you can go home at the end of the day and you can watch an episode of Narcos. And unless you're planning on being a cocaine dealer or a criminal of some sort, all you have done is entertained yourself, Mm. right? And I think that your life was worth more than pure entertainment. I think that your life has to have value, it has to have meaning. And that means educating yourself. And that's the responsibility of everyone. That's a personal journey. And that's exactly what you're doing, right? You know, in terms of the interviews that you're holding, you know, the the career that you're thinking about pursuing, that's to continue to inform yourself. Mm. But information without action is also useless. So you have to remember that that part of your learning is actually putting in place a plan and actioning it right and through that process you will learn so much when it comes to storing that money and and before even before that having that why should mm-hmm. people have their plans set from then as to what they're going to invest in once they've reached their goal of what they're storing yeah i, I think that a plan is something that you develop over time mm. and so while it's really really important to have a bigger plan for your life and some idea because it's it's important to be directed through your life Otherwise, you're just blown around like a leaf in the breeze. But it's great to have some overall sense of the things that you would like. And so within that, I often talk about with my team the concept of pricing your life. Okay? So how do you know that you're winning the financial game of life? How do we know? Mm. You're rich. (laughs) (laughs) But rich is subjective, right? Yeah. So you could be you could be rich earning fifty thousand dollars a year. Mm. You could you can be poor, earning twenty million a year. Mm. It really is a personal journey. So that's why when it comes to pricing your life, it's about your life, yeah. about the things that you want. Because otherwise, you could also just propel yourself on this journey of endless consume of endless consumption, and I don't think that humans were born to be hamsters on treadmills. You know, I think we are sentient, able to be directed and to determine the things that we want for our own lives. And so if you know that, then work out what it is that you want and put a dollar figure next to it because you don't need to endlessly consume. You can say, hey, do you know what I'd love? I would just love a life where I could go and take my family on holiday once a year and we could buy a batch and I could get a boat and go fishing. and enjoy my weekends and spend time with my wife and with my children and take my kids to rugby or to ballet or whatever it is that you're doing. I think that in the whole cult of the entrepreneur, we've lost something. 
We've, we've lost something that's really fundamental to us all, and that is just to be content. Mm. And to find that is really, really important because you can endlessly strive. But if it isn't worth the lick of salt, you know, in the first place, why would you strive for it? Mm. So work out exactly what it is that you want for your life and price it. And then you know, you actually get to ring the bell and go, do you know what, I won. I won the game of life because I'm living exactly the life I wanted on my terms. Yeah. And why do you think it is that people don't want more for themselves or think that they can only reach a certain point and that's all there is for them in the game of life? Yeah. I, look, I think that there's a ton of reasons for that. And, and again, I'd come back to education. You know, if, you, mm. if your parents haven't been successful, if your teachers aren't successful, if you do not know successful people, then how could you possibly find your route through to, to a whole new life, mm. yeah? And so I think while success is really, really important, making sure that you're not working towards someone else's definition of success is more important. Mm. Working out what success means to you. Because, you know, for you, you're, what, what is important to you is not going to be important to me. Mm. And that's okay. That's the beauty of life. You know, that's the beauty of our diversity, that everyone's got their own things that they want to work towards. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, and so if you do that right, if you price your life, if you say, you know, everything that I want in the world can be achieved with 50 or 100,000 or $150,000 a year, then all of a sudden you have a target. Mm. You have something to aim for. And, and in doing that, you have milestones along your journey to know whether you're successful or not. I think when you put it like that, and because that is the truth, it is so simple, but then the majority of us can't see it like that and don't get to that point. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're blinded by the messages that are pumped out by advertisers every single day, mm. which, you know, make you feel dissatisfied with the life that you have. And... While we've got this cult of entrepreneurship, not everyone is cut out to be a business owner. Mm -hmm. Not everyone wants to be a business owner. And do you know what? That's cool. You know, and there's, but there's got to be someone out there. There's got to be some message out there that the everyday person can see that they can win the financial game of life without having to be the next Elon Musk or the next Steve Jobs. Not everyone wants it. You know, and I can assure you, living with someone like me is deeply and can be deeply uncomfortable. I'm absolutely driven. I finished my last phone conference at 2 a.m. last night and I didn't and I had five of them from 10 p.m. Mm. Right. I'm a difficult human being. I'm very, very busy and I'm very, very focused, but it's not for everyone. And that's OK. I don't think in terms of well-balanced individuals that I'm the epitome of what somebody should look for because balance is something that I don't have. Mm. And that's why when you think about the people that you're following online or people that you respect, respect them for some aspects of life because there are other aspects of their life that are potentially deeply uncomfortable and won't make you happy. Mm. And so you've got to work out what your own bliss is, right, and go and follow it. And it's a very simple process. Price your life. Yeah. And I want to talk about balance because I've seen an mm -hmm. Instagram post you did in the caption. I really resonated yeah. with it, talking about how, you know, if you're content in areas, the different areas of your life, balance mm -hmm. is a myth. And mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more because I think usually when people are really struggling with this work-life balance, it's because they actually just hate their job or sure. something like that. And yeah. so, yeah, how do you see balance? Look, I, I don't think there is any such thing. I think it's, mm. you know, um, the quest for balance is the quest for mediocrity. And so when people talk to you about finding balance, often it is to, to um, provide some apology for their own failure in life. And so balance is something that, you know, you've all heard, we've all heard the term, give a job to a busy person, right? Mm. Why is that? Because we know they're going to get it done. We know that they're going to find a way. And so it's the same thing for me. I know that I've got to take my son to rugby. I've got to go and do this. I've got to exercise. I've got to do this in terms of my job, in terms of my work, in terms of training my people, in terms of all of those different things. And I actually don't think that you find balance. You don't find balance, you know, sitting on a yoga mat, chilling out, right? And having said that, I had a session doing yoga this morning, <laughs> right? But you, where you find balance is you find it in those 
beautiful, pristine moments in the middle of it all where you just go, do you know what? I've got this. And, and that's my whole philosophy on life, embracing, doing more, walking towards your own life and your own future, mm. and making sure that you also light a torch for other people to follow, because that is so, so important. You know, we live in a society in New Zealand that, you know, has really been plagued by this whole tall poppy syndrome, you know, where success is almost something to be embarrassed about. Yeah. And I hate that, mm. you know, because what that means, it means that everyone should be as broke as me. You know, everyone should be as miserable as me. No, 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 no. I just don't believe that, right? You've got to be able to find a way to lift people up and take them on the journey. And you know what? There is no such, there is no limit to how much love there is in the world. And it's the same thing in terms of financial success. There's no limit to how much money there is in the world. It's a completely man-made concept, mm. right? We live in a fiat currency system anyway. And so if that's the case, then why wouldn't you want everyone to be successful? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And it was actually so refreshing coming here and interviewing Charlotte because mm -hmm. I found that she was so just open about her life and the success she's had and what she's done. And mm. a lot of people I talk to are very reserved and wanting to explain that when I want to hear the full story. Yeah, sure. And so I was... She's yeah. living the dream being married yeah. to me, I promise yeah. you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's what she was saying. Uh -huh, but uh -huh. um, yeah, it was just so refreshing to hear that because it almost motivated me more because I was like, shit, yes, like everyone should be like that. If mm. you, you know, you don't have to hide the success that you've made for yourself. Yeah, and, and I think it's really tough for women as well. So mm. there are, what, you know, a lot of businesses forget are that 90% of all the purchasing decisions in the world are made by women. And 80% when it comes to property, you know, and that's from the Harvard Business Review. And there are so many pressures on women in terms of work in, and balance. Looking after kids, mm. when should I go back to work? Do I want to go back to work? What should I be doing? Am I going to be judged? All of those things. And what I love about my wife is the fact that she's completely embraced it. And so from her perspective, she said, you know what? We're just going to get some help. We're going to get some help at home. And I love being a mum and I love spending time with the children, but I don't love some parts of that. Mm. And those parts of it that make me miserable or make me grumpy with the kids, I'm going to actually, you know, find that village to help us with this. Neither of us have any family around, so we're kind of doing it on our own. Well, we, we created our own bubble and our own environment to be able to make shit work. Mm. And, you know, all of us humans on this journey we're just figuring it out as we go along. And I think that we're fortunate enough as a couple um, within our marriage to have found some great strategies to, to make things work for us both. Mm, yeah, I really love that. And sort of coming right back now to when, sure. You've, <laughs> sure, sure. when you've stored that money. You keep on wanting to talk to me about property, yeah? And it's like the last subject I want to chat to no, you about. Well, to be honest, I mm. probably the last subject I want to talk about too, <laughs> but the people want to hear about it. Okay. So. But I like, I like intertwining all the mm -hmm. stories and lessons in between. It's really awesome. Good, good. So we've stored the money. Sure. Buy property in Auckland. There you go. Podcast over. Yeah. So <laughs> it's really straightforward. Yeah. And I feel like it is, but it seems it's built up into this huge thing where people mm -hmm. can't get into the market and they don't know how to do it. And it's all this huge It's never nightmare. been easier. Yeah. Right? And let me just um, explain to you why property is more affordable now than at any other time, okay? okay? And which is completely the opposite of what's being talked about in the press, okay? So, and that's all to do with interest rates. Mm. So the cost of a million dollar mortgage once upon a time would have been $100,000 a year, 10%, right? You know, back in 2008, 2007, interest rates were around sort of 8 9%. But let's, for, for the purposes of this conversation, let's call it 10%, right? Mm. So you had a million-dollar mortgage, it would cost you $100,000 a year. You have a million-dollar mortgage today, it will cost you $22,000 a year in interest. That million dollars is more affordable today than it was back then. Mm. And that's just a fact. And interest rates and property go hand in hand. It's really, really important to understand that. And so while you may have the media that is telling you the story of fear, and for sure, 
I am not saying it hasn't been difficult for first home buyers to be able to get into property, but it's always been difficult to get into property for every generation. You know, if you think about our modern banking system, it hasn't been around for that long. You know, 30 years ago in New Zealand, you couldn't walk down to the Westpac or the ASB and go and get yourself a mortgage. You had to go and get a mortgage through like a solicitor's nominee account and potentially pay 20% interest on that. So things have changed. Things have got easier and things have got harder. But the point of the matter is, is that you've got to work this shit out and find a way. And there are ways through using your KiwiSaver, through the Homestart grant, through clubbing together with a group of friends to be able to do it, right? There is always a way and you've got to find that hustle and that motivation to get there. But I wouldn't think about just being a, a, a homeowner because just being a homeowner is not enough, right? And often, because your first house is never going to be your last house, yeah? You, I, I don't know anyone who bought one house and stayed there forever mm. and that was it. You know, they were born there, they died there. It just doesn't happen, right? So if your first house isn't your last house, then you need to be thinking about investing and investing in property. And from, I think it's really important to look at the market not over the short term but over a long period of time because I've never really been interested in what people think when it comes to investing, I've only been interested in the facts. And since 1981, real house price growth in Auckland adjusted for inflation is just over 4%. Throughout the rest of New Zealand, it's been about 2.5%. And since 1981, let's talk about the things that have happened, right? Mm. So you've had major global recession in the early 80s, then the share market crash in the late 80s. You've had the dot-com bubble and many of the companies that you could have invested in are bust. You've had the September 11 terrorist attacks. You've had the attacks in London. You've had the Gulf War, war in Afghanistan. You've had a global financial crisis. And now we've got COVID-19, but still the Auckland property market has tracked on at a higher rate of growth than the whole of the rest of New Zealand. And I'm just not prepared to, to bet against the data. So while I may see on some, you know, online forums, hey, Palmerston North is going off, that's fantastic. You know, I don't, I'm not about getting rich quick. I'm about getting rich for certain. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's all about the data. And Auckland is the market that I invest in. And my capital is completely discretionary. I could be investing in Auckland or in London, Melbourne, Sydney, Queenstown, Wellington, wherever. But the only place that I have my money is in Auckland. Mm. And I think another thing people struggle to understand is when they want to... they have the opportunity to get into property. Mm -hmm. Are they going for a new build because that's a way you can sort of get the grants or mm -hmm. an old build and doing it up and then yeah. flipping it? And sure. And so I think that there is a, there's a place to be a trader or a speculator in property, right? Where you're doing renos or you're flipping or you're doing all of that sort of stuff. And the first thing I would say, go check out the rich list because you won't find any renovators or property speculators on it. There are none. Mm. However, if you do not have the ability, society doesn't value what it is that you do on a daily basis at a high enough level so that your income isn't high enough to be able to create new money, then by all means, do whatever you possibly can. Hustle, go and renovate property in Napier. Do whatever it is that you need to do to go and make a dollar. Hey, I'm all for that. But the point of the matter is, in, in terms of, from my perspective anyway, is that if you were to look at, say, four rental properties in Auckland providing you $25,000 a year each in rent, that's 100 grand a year. How, if you were to buy those, you would need $2 million in cash, right? Hmm. And the chances are you probably don't have $2 million to have those properties debt-free. And so you just cannot give up your day job as a property investor. Property investment isn't something that's going to mean that, you know, hey, I've given up my, my job working here, there, or everywhere. 
to all of a sudden become a property investor and now I'm rich and I'm going to give it up. You can't. You've got to go and get new money. And property investment really shouldn't be that exciting or that sexy. Mm. You know, it should be something that you do for the rest of your life. So we've got 500,000 properties owned in New Zealand privately. We've got about 100,000 properties owned in New Zealand by just under, it's actually about 90, 97,000, I think, which are owned by the government, by local government or by iwi. The private sector is far more efficient at providing long-term rental accommodation right across New Zealand. Those 500,000 properties are owned by about 134,000 people. And of those 134,000 people, 117,000 of them only own one rental property. It's a complete myth about the wealth of property investors, right? It's just mum and dads who decided that they wanted to do something for their own retirement. They bought one rental and that's all they did. There's that smaller group between the 117,000 and the 134,000 who may own two to five rental properties. And for most people, if you actually spend your day daytime working in the career or in the business that you love, you can then just invest in property slowly over time and build wealth for yourself. It is not something that you should take out and play with, you know? It's not a toy to be played with, and it's actually really quite boring. Mm. So long game. It's a long game, but so's life. Mm. You know, there is no, there are no shortcuts. There's yeah. no get rich quick. It's get rich for certain. Yeah, I like that because I think when, when I talk to the people on here, a lot of the time they're saying, well, I want to invest in property, but how do I do it quicker? How can yeah. I get there faster? And yeah. Welcome to the real world. Time yeah. to grow up. Yeah. yeah. That's, it's just, that's just literally it. If you want to create wealth for yourself, start a business, and which will provide you cash flow. If that is not what you want to do with your life, if you don't want to take on board that risk and that pressure and that stress, and you love your role, you love working as part of an organization, building value within that, then stay what you're doing. Work on your personal development to be able to make sure that you can get a pay rise. Have a side hustle, do that type of thing, for sure. But whatever you do, you have to invest. And so if you were to break it down simply and to mm -hmm. say, like steps how sure. would you describe that first thing i'd do would be to price my life mm -hmm. to work out what it is that i wanted to achieve and then i would say well do i love doing what i'm doing or do i plan on changing jobs or is this the career for me and i would look at that do i want to start a business if you came to me and you said hey my goal kenyan is to go and start this empire, this business that I want to be in, and you know, should I take my money that I have put aside to invest in property and and start this business? I'd, and I, my answer to you would be, fuck yes, go start the business, don't go and buy a property. If you would be miserable for the rest of your life because you never gave your life a shot to do what you loved, then go do that. Mm. Then absolutely go and do that. However, if you want to guarantee that you're going to make money over time and that you will, in retirement, be wealthy, then go and invest in property and put in place the plan to do that. So to more fully answer your question, price your life. Make sure that you're taking a percentage of what you earn every month and put it into storage. When that has grown to a level that makes sense, take it out of storage and invest it in property have that property managed on your behalf because I would, unless you're a tradesperson and enjoy working weekends, I would think that your time is better off spent improving your position in, you know, in your employment or developing a side hustle and do that Yeah. and rinse and repeat. It's really as easy as that. It, it is really as easy as that. Mm. Yeah, I think it, it can be like you've just done for us, broken down into such simplified steps but it's I think there's just a lot of pressure around it or people put that pressure on themselves to try mm. and be this build a successful empire for themselves when they just need to start with 
pricing their life and finding their why before they go into the... Totally. Yeah. You know, because your life isn't all about your Instagram life. Mm. It's about your real life. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and having a life that you're proud of and that you're committed to and is going to provide for you and the people you love is more important than any post on Instagram. Yeah. And mm. so, in a, changing gears a little bit, mm. with social media, what is your opinion on social media and how it affects people's motivation and that kind of thing? You know, it's like anything. I think it can be a tool for good or it can be, you know, a, a tool for the things that are not so good. Mm. And... It depends on whether you use social media as a platform to promote or a platform to consume. And so for us in a business um, in a business sense, we're continually promoting. We spend well over a million dollars a year, you know, in terms of our digital advertising to make sure that people get to see our message. And I think it's really, really important. I think we live in this incredible age where information is able to be, you know, to to be broadly available. For me, social media has become interesting because it gives me access to some of the most incredible thought leaders of our time. And so, again, I would come back to what we touched on before about what, you know, what you consume is important. And for me, I want to consume things that are going to positively impact my life rather than negatively. Yeah, yeah, mm. I agree. And have you seen any examples of where social media has affected someone in a negative way in terms of how they build on their life? Or how do you think, I guess, how can people make the connection as to when it's starting to have a real negative effect on their mm. life? Yeah, look, I'm I'm 43 and I'm a pretty, um, I would like to think, well-adjusted human. I know who I am. I'm, you know, a father. I'm a husband. I'm a business owner. I have four or five hundred people who are working for me one way or the other every single day of my life. Yet, for me, it can take me to a dark place. And certainly my team are aware of that. Certainly, it's very, very frustrating when people are judging your motivation or they're judging the things that you say online. And I've had to learn to deal with that. I didn't grow up with the internet, right? And so I've had to adapt to this whole new method of communication and so while I could talk about other people's experience of social media I think it's probably more impactful to talk about my own mm -hmm. and certainly there have been times where I've been involved in different groups or this that or the other where I just feel god almighty you're just surrounded by complete morons or you're consumed by haters or that you'd think that there are so many people who are just so hateful and full of darkness that they don't want to see anyone else's success. Mm. So how can that impact you? It can absolutely impact you. And how I learned to deal with that is to tune it out and just to jump out of those groups, jump out of those forums and to, you know, and that enables you just to think better of the human race as a whole. Yeah. You yeah. know? I agree. And mm. do you ever get stressed? No. I think stress is a, is, you know, a place that you can choose to live. I get busy, right? And, you know, and that, 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 I suppose, is the closest that I would say I come to stress. And the reason why I'm not stressed is I'm living exactly the life that I want to live on my terms. Yeah. And did you, I guess, create this plan for how you wanted mm. to live your life? Was that always something you pictured in your head as to how, I suppose, you're living life now? I wrote down my goals when I was 27 and they haven't moved. Mm. And for me, I priced my life. Yeah. And so understanding what my goals are, understanding exactly what... It, the vehicle's changed, you know? There are different milestones that I have along the way. And without any doubt, but the big overarching plan for how I wanted to live my life and spend my time, whom I wanted to spend it with, the relationships that I wanted to have, it wasn't just the financial things that I, that I made plans for. I also made plans for my relationships, and even in terms of the relationship with my wife. And I'll tell you a story about that, actually, because... I, um, I had a number of, um, before, <laughs> back in my 20s, I had a number of disastrous relationships and uh, I had um, a particularly poor selection process in terms of <laughs> um, finding people to be with. And a friend of mine came around to my house one day and he said, Kenyon, you make plans for everything else in your life. You know, what is it that you would want out of your personal relationship? And, you know, this had just come after, you know, the most recent breakup. And, um, and so I was sitting around 
one evening a few days later and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to write down, I'm going to write two lists. The first list are the things that I'm going to look for from a life partner and the second list is going to be the type of person that I would need to be to attract that person into my life. Mm. And I wrote this list down and, you know, and, and it was an interesting process and, and, and I stuck it into the drawer next to my bedside and I didn't think any more about it. And many months passed and in the business that we had, we were recruiting for two positions and we were recruiting for a chief financial officer and I was also, we were also recruiting for a new personal assistant for me. And I'm not very good or interested in admin and the recruitment consultant was on me. Could you provide a job description? Could you provide a job description? And so all of my attention, my focus went on the CFI role. And so I did that and the deadline was coming up for the advertising and for them to start interviews. And I was thinking, oh, I just can't even be bothered to write this job description for my PA. And I opened my bedside drawer, had the wife list, gave it to the recruitment consultant. And a few weeks later for her first interview, my wife, Charlotte, walked through the door. Oh my God. Crazy, <laughs> eh? That is a yeah. crazy story. Mm. That's so cool. Yeah, it is. Wow, that's insane. Well, so I think it's important. Yeah, <laughs> so it's important to plan, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, would you say, like, what are your thoughts around manifestation and the law of attraction? Is that, would, would that have come into it? Well, no, I think it's, no, I don't believe in the law of attraction and I don't believe in the law of, of yeah, I <laughs> kind of think laws really should be for the realm of science as opposed to the realm of fiction. Um, there's no such thing as the law of attraction, it's a load of bullshit and there is the law of action, right? And so from that perspective, if you're going to advertise for exactly these types of person personality traits, yeah. I don't think that's the law of attraction. I think you just advertise for the right person. The advert hit the spot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so there is no such thing as the law of attraction. There is only action, mm. right? What you do in this life counts. It's not what you say. It's what you do. It's really, really important. Yeah. 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 And no, I love that perspective. And that's just a really cool story. I can't get over it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, okay. And so I think it's important. I really want to touch on tall poppy syndrome again mm -hmm. and your experience with that. And yeah, just what is your experience with tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand? I think living in provincial New Zealand for 20 odd years, you, you um, are pretty well exposed to it. Mm. And uh, and I never really understood it. Mm. You know, I've always, I've, I've certainly experienced it firsthand. But I've never really understood it. And do you know what? I don't care to understand it anymore. I'm, I feel as though the world has moved on. And I think we choose what we consume. And I'm, from my personal perspective, I want to make sure that when people have an interaction with me or with my business, with my family, that it's a positive experience mm. and that's all I can possibly do and I think when more people are focused on that then all of us the whole, all of us benefit mm. you know and and I believe that the more people who take that approach to life I think the better it's going to become mm. because it's just a happier way to live yeah I agree. And I think the more you put your energy towards things like that, the more mm. they grow in your mind and you end up thinking it's a huge presence in your life when yeah. it doesn't have to be. No, absolutely. And look, you know, we, not, there is, not everyone has equal opportunity. You know, there really is such a thing as privilege. It exists. It's real. Mm. You know, I was hugely privileged to have the parents that I've had and how we account for privilege is important. And with that recognition, I think the way that I can account for the huge privilege that I've had is to help other people come along on a journey with me. Mm. And, and, you know, there are cycles of trauma, there are cycles of abuse, there are people who are living in situations that I can't even possibly begin to comprehend. Not everybody has that same equality of opportunity. 
And so I would like New Zealand, I would like the world to be a fairer place. But do you know what? It just fucking isn't. Mm. So take a concrete pill, hold the fuck up, and you've got to get after it. And unfortunately, let's, and you know, you just got to go. With that idea of leading people and helping other people up, I don't know if you know who Rebecca Hollis is, but I had him on the podcast recently. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a Kiwi entrepreneur. And basically, he said that one of his missions through his career is mm-hmm. to leave what he calls breadcrumbs for people to pick up little breadcrumbs that can just offer some sort of motivation that gets them out of a mindset or a certain situation and mm-hmm. break through into something else. I think that's amazing. Yeah. And I, I totally resonate with that as well. And I think um, how, what would you say to people who are looking for those kind of breadcrumbs, those sort of motivations to get them out of some horrible situations? How can they break th- through the mold that they've been mm-hmm. stuck in for their whole life? I would say if you find one, pick it up and eat it. Mm. It's what you do in life that counts. You know, you can spend your life searching, but at some point you've got to take action. You've got to change your situation. Whether that means that you need to move town, dump your boyfriend, move out of your, move away from your parents, get out of your toxic situation. You know, you can't spend your life apologizing you know, for your own circumstances or apologizing for the people around you who may be toxic, have terrible influences. We've all been there. We've all had situations in our life that are not comfortable or we've been in poor relationships, but it's on us to change our future. So find the bread cup crumb. That's great. And I think it's important that you should search for it. But you can't just be an observer in your own life. You've actually got to take action. Yeah. And I think a part of that as well is you've got to recognize opportunity when it's there and it doesn't have to be this huge thing that's put in your face for sure i think just a lot of daily things we go through are opportunities to change to learn more um but some people don't see it in that way and i think Mm -hmm. that restricts them a lot you know we have um we have the duval foundation which is our registered charity and every year um we help families um through schools in south auckland celebrate christmas and Christmas is a a tough time for a lot of families struggling economically and um, there are higher incidences of family violence, you know, um, all sorts of things. And we know that one day of the year is not life-changing. But for a child to know that a stranger cared can be. Mm. And whatever you know, whatever that little ripple that you put out into the universe of kindness or hope, whatever breadcrumb that you leave, it's so, so important. And we have no idea how important it is at the time. I think that's where we'll leave it. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you very much. It's that been a pleasure been amazing. being here. I'm almost speechless because I feel like it's the second time I'm going to leave this house <laughs> not having anything to say because I've got so much to think about and action. Oh, I've really enjoyed this format. You know what? I think this is the um, the second podcast I've done, the, the, and um, I've I've enjoyed it. It's been fun. So yeah, best of luck with it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you were able to take something valuable away. Um, be sure to subscribe and keep up with the socials for further episodes at the One Up Project. And I'll catch you on the next one.